Let's combine 3D printing and universal design with storytelling. Yep, that's right. It's the K-12 Engineering Education Podcast. Everybody should be able to enjoy books and games, whether you're older or younger, sighted or visually impaired. That's what Dr. Stacy Forsyth and Dr. Katherine Penscover told me when we met at South by Southwest EDU last March. Dr. Forsyth and Dr. Penscover are sharing a design curriculum from the University of Colorado Boulder to teach students to build more accessible books and games. Here's some of our conversation from the Austin Convention Center next. Hi, I'm Stacy Forsyth from CU Science Discovery at the University of Colorado in Boulder. And I'm Catherine Penscover, also from CU Science Discovery. Thanks for joining us in Austin here at South by Southwest EDU. And uh, you've got a cool program uh, out of your, your university, and I wanted to hear a little bit more about what this program is, the Build a Better Book program. So Science Discovery runs a whole variety of K-12 STEM education outreach programs uh, for students and teachers. And the project that we're here talking about and sharing at South by Southwest EDU is called Build a Better Book, which is designed to be a makerspace project for kids and teens to really connect them with um, an authentic need in the community. Uh, which is the need for more accessible materials for children who are blind or visually impaired. project really started um, with looking at 3D printing and making 3D printed tactile books, but it's grown much bigger than that. And I think now it's really working to connect a whole variety of maker technologies um, together with art and storytelling as a way of creating books and games and media that um, are more inclusive for everybody. So, uh, Dr. Forsyth, you've been working on this for a while now, right? Could you talk about maybe the history of the program? Sure, this project actually started with one of our collaborators who's a faculty member in computer science. He was looking at um, just how successful it would be to use 3D printing as a way of creating tactile media, tactile picture books for children. And um, as STEM educators who are starting to work more in the makerspace area, we saw kind of the goal of the project is really providing a really authentic and meaningful hook for students that um, often want to know why they're learning something and why they're doing something. It provides them with um, you know, this idea that they can create something that hasn't been created and that is really needed. And they love the idea um, of helping others. And so we've had a lot of students that might not normally identify as being STEM-oriented or interested in technology come to the project because they're drawn to the kind of art element of it or the book writing element or because it involves kids and they feel like they want to contribute something to that effort. Yeah, and I think while um, while it started as a 3D printing effort to make books more accessible, um, and because 3D printers are becoming more ubiquitous in society, um, it's an easy way to share files. Um, but we quickly realized that 3D printing is not the only mode that that works, and actually, it's not a great mode for some some designs. And so, um, while this started with 3D printing, um, we've branched out into every type of maker activity, uh, fabric, uh, laser cutting. Uh, I mean, everything. Anything um, to make a more accessible... Yeah, really anything. Sound edition. Um, we've used a lot of different techniques to incorporate sound into books and any sort of tactile experience. And I think one thing that has made this project um, successful or has been attractive to a lot of teachers and librarians um, is the fact that it's been designed to be fairly adaptable for different spaces. So 
you know, sometimes we have people ask, well, what technology do we need to be able to participate in this effort? And the answer is really whatever you have. So some people take a more kind of high-tech approach to it, and they're using laser cutters and 3D printers, but a lot of groups are using cardboard and wiki sticks and pipe cleaners, and in a lot of cases, those lower-tech materials end up being a much richer (laughs) tactile experience for someone who is blind. So they're really, I think it kind of runs the gamut about what you can use to make materials more excessive and it just becomes an, an kind of the idea of just being more creative and thinking about what can you use to make something that's very visual translate that into other senses so that mm-hmm. someone who can't see might be able to experience it either by what they're hearing or by what they're touching or even in some cases what they're smelling you know thinking about Ooh. how you can use different <laughs> yeah. senses to experience they information <laughs> we won't get into the details, but um, so so let's get into those practical things because I know people aren't watching you right now if they're listening to this podcast. So let's say I am a high school teacher and I want to get a program like this uh, going. Like, what would that look like? Yeah, we would really encourage you to find um, a local need. Um, so we, uh, I mean, we have people uh, and uh, clients that we could supply, but we really encourage you to find something in your area or your neighborhood um, where there's a need for some sort of accessible material. Um, So we've done projects where students are designing for other students in the school who have special needs um, or just different ways of interacting with materials. Um, And bringing those people in as co-designers on the project, it really opens the students' eyes um, and gives them an authentic audience and um, really makes them realize that the things around them may not be accessible to everybody. And I think we have uh, um, quite a few materials on our website, which is buildabetterbook.org. This project is sponsored by the National Science Foundation, so everything that we've developed is is free and out there. And we also kind of welcome others to contribute materials to that website to share with others. But I think that, you know, getting started in a classroom or a library or a makerspace setting, we've found what works really well is kind of a combination of not only activities that are introducing students to the different technologies or giving them practice with the different technologies, but also a variety of empathy building activities that are really kind of forcing kids either to look at materials and think about how that would be if if you couldn't see them, what that experience would be and how you might use different materials to make something more accessible. Um, But also activities that have them learning about others and thinking about, you know, if we're really designing for someone else, what are the things that we want to keep in mind as we do that? Um, And what are the kind of elements that we want to, you know, be sure to include? And it's really, I think for us, you know, the products of this project are a real side benefit. <laughs> you know, there's certainly um, something that it's it's nice to be able to kind of share with families, but really we're interested much more in the process of engaging these teens in this process and um, kind of really encouraging them to iterate on their designs and test their designs and see, okay, how well did this first you know, example work. Well, if you weren't thinking about scale or proportion, that might be a problem when somebody is, you know, looking at that material or feeling that material. Um, So what can you do next time to improve that design? You're totally speaking my language. I'm hearing the design process. I'm hearing the connection to STEM. And and really designing for all, because who doesn't want to touch a book when you're reading it? (laughs) Especially kids. Yeah, and I think that's one of the um, exciting things for our designers to realize. Sometimes they're, you know, creating a book or they're creating a game, and they're intended audience is someone who is blind or visually impaired and yet they realize that it's it's more engaging for mm-hmm. everybody even yes. for kids who are sighted they want to touch things they want to sure. they want to interact and so yeah again that emphasizing universal design so that the, the 
changes that we're making to these designs are making it not just better for a certain subset of people, but really for everybody. You kind of already mentioned that you have to get a real problem. How do you find a real problem in your local neighborhood? I guess it's where where we should start, right? You said maybe talk to your own students. What else could you do? Uh, one of the one of the things we did to in, to encourage more people to be a part of the project is we ran some focus groups and in in that process um, one thing we had been very focused initially on books and um, during that process what we found um, was that one thing they really wanted was games and at, yeah can you describe what you've got yeah and so what I have in front of me is a chessboard that was um, designed by kids for other kids and so. Um, if you think of a chessboard, there's not much way, if you can't see the board, to tell uh, what the black spaces are or the white spaces. And your pieces, if you're feeling the board, can move around very easily. Um, and so uh, there was a little boy that wanted to play chess. And he, the, there are accessible chess boards, but they're expensive and, and kind of hard to find. Um, he and still so, had some frustrations with yeah, the tactile boards that were available design. to them. Exactly. So he gave us some design criteria. He said, you know, I don't want the pieces to move when I feel them. If they're too tall, they tend to knock over. I'd like to be able to feel the difference between the black and the white squares. Um, And so given those design criteria, we had students develop this prototype. And and really, it's just it's a regular chessboard. But they've used um, wiki sticks to raise the... um, edges of the squares, and then they've added uh, felt and foam, which, yeah, please feel it. Um, They've added felt and foam to the black and white squares. They still are black and white, uh, but they feel distinct from each other. So you can really navigate yourself around the board. And they also made a set of pieces, which I um, have in my bag, to go with this, which are low to the ground and very sort of bottom heavy, so they don't fall over and tip when they are moved around. So, um, yeah, and this is involved, you know, this is low craft and, or low tech and crafted, and then the pieces are 3D printed, but, um, yeah, it's a great solution. And I think one thing that has been su- continually surprising to us throughout this process is how the, the dearth of materials that are out there. Um, in fact, we were just working with a couple of um, instructors who work with students who are visually impaired, and they were saying, you know, kind of talking about the challenges they run into in trying to have a game night for their students who are blind, who want to get together, who want to play games, and the supply of games that they can play right, is right, really right. limiting. And sometimes there might be some games that have been modified with Braille, um, but that's it. And there sure. there just aren't other factors that are taken into consideration. Right. And so we've found games, you know, in addition to books and stories, games has just been a huge pull for the teens that are involved in the project because, I mean, everybody loves a good game. Yeah. And I think this gets them thinking about, wow, what would it be like if I couldn't see the pieces or I couldn't, you know, this thing that I take advantage of or that I just take for granted, um, if I wasn't able to see the pieces, how could I have that same experience? And so it really is an amazing design challenge. Um, and it gets, yeah, again, it can be used with very low, low-tech low materials or higher-tech materials if you have them. Um, but I think, you know, it just kind of gets at this need that, um, you know, we're trying to make sure that everybody has access to something. How can we do that? So you pulled out a couple more pieces here. Yeah, I just pulled out some pieces for the chess um, the chess set, and these are just two pawns, and, and they're really just small, um, very wide base, but with a sphere on top, and they have a different, uh, the white pieces have a square on top that's very distinctive from the, the blue pieces that have a ball on top, so you can tell the difference between the white and the blue. And the, in this case, blue, but it could be any color. Um, 
And the pieces, pieces have also been treated differently right. after so, they were printed, okay. so they have one a different them, texture. One of them was printed in ABS plastic and then dipped in acetone, so you get this smooth, really smooth surface, whereas the other one is just straight off the printer. It's a little rougher. Um, so you can tell the difference between the pieces not only by sight but by touch. And I mean, what, I, what I'm seeing is I can instantly see, oh, yeah, there was probably a lot of thought and, and computer work and rigor and testing. Um, so that's actually quite impressive. What kinds of uh, special techniques do you think students should learn? Or, or like, what's an example technique that you could find from your curriculum that um, students can employ to, to better uh, design something for to be more accessible? I don't know if that question was phrased very right, but like testing it on yourself too, and and make sure you're testing it in the way that somebody else would use it. Um, would be helpful. So blindfold yourself. And we do a lot of walking around stores with our head up in the air and, and feeling materials just to see what they feel like and what, what they evoke uh, in us uh, when we touch it. So not using our sight uh, and worrying about color, but really um, worrying about what it feels like. But not taking away from the color. Color is also fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think, you know, for students who are sighted, we're so used to kind of evaluating our products by how they look. Yes. And that's been one of the big lessons of this, too. It's not just about how it looks. You can have a product that looks beautiful, yeah. um, but then it doesn't feel as nice or what, what somebody is trying to feel isn't um, distinct. They can't tell what it's supposed to be. And I think that's been interesting. A really good lesson for us when we take products, we partner with the Colorado Center for the Blind, for example. And when we have brought some products there, it's interesting that, you know, the products that we kind of look at and think are sort of the, you know, quote unquote, the best or things that, you know, are really, really strong products aren't always the ones that, you know, they, that feel the best or that are clear about what they are. And so just remembering that if you're designing for a different sense, exactly what Kat is saying to really test that in that mode. (laughs) Right. You should really explore it with that sense you're trying to design for. So, yeah. How might you differentiate a project like this for older kids versus younger kids? Like, does it get really complicated or you, you mentioned how you can simplify things? I think one of the things, one of the things we're learning too, I mean, we're all individuals, right? So we all have different wants and needs when we evaluate a product. And so there isn't going to be one product that's right for everybody. Um, And yeah, I think you've got to look at different age groups, what they're exposed to. So books in Braille are great if you can read Braille. Um, And they're not so great for the pre-readers. And I think in terms of the students that are working on the project, we've had, we've just run this program in a variety of ways. We've had very young students kind of in, in short drop-in workshops creating tactile stories out of craft materials. And then we, you know, all the way up to high school students working on extended kind of internships during the summer at a libra- public library makerspace where they're, you know, able to spend a lot more time in terms of learning Adobe Illustrator to create a game board on a laser cutter and then going through multiple iterations with 3D printed pieces. And so I think it really... Um, kind of spans a, a large spectrum in terms of what we can do with younger kids. It's, it's still very eye-opening for younger children, I think, to start thinking about what would a book or a game or, you know, my science book or my math, you know, how would it be to learn math if I couldn't see a graph? Um, those are things that a lot of kids haven't ever yeah. thought much about before um, at all ages. <laughs> and so it tends to be very eye-opening, I think, even if we're starting with just a simple tactile picture activity um, that we might do with, you know, third or fourth graders. Um, but then when we start working with middle and high school students, we can really spend a lot more time, 
you know, learning some more in-depth technology and looking at a variety of different things they might be able to use to make their materials more accessible. So it is an NSF project, and so a lot of your stuff is freely available. How would people, I know you mentioned the website, but how could people find the studies on what you're doing and just more resources? Yeah, we have all of that on our website. We have a resources page um, for learning, for lesson plans and products, but then also uh, a media page where it has all our papers and, and conference um, appearances and, and anything else we've done publicly, yeah. And as part of that website, there is a design gallery where student-created designs are available. So if students that have worked on a particular book or have created their own book or have worked on creating a board game, for example, those design files, if they've, if they've created it with a digital file, you know, with a 3D you know, for 3D printing or for laser cutting, something like that, those files are available to share. So a library or a school, if they wanted, could could download those files for their own um, for their own. And we encourage remixing as well. We we by no means say that this is the be all and end all of the chess set. Um, sure. This is a first iteration. <laughs> it's the only one. Yeah, this is the first iteration, right. and I'm sure that people can make it better. Cool. <laughs> and we invite you to do so. <laughs> but just share us share with us the the improved designs. Yeah, We'd love to see them. Make it better and then give it back. <laughs> can they tweet you? or like share it find you on social media oh, definitely um, that'd be great we're at we're on twitter at build better book and on facebook yes nobody likes facebook anymore but <laughs> anyway uh thank we're you trying, so we're much trying to learn instagram <laughs> oh instagram would be great for that well in some ways we do, I, th- I think we have an instagram but we are not very good at posting at the moment so we'll get better other people should <laughs> do it for you so yeah. uh thank you so much and a good luck on your uh, presentation coming up <laughs> thanks thank so much thank you Dr. Forsyth and Dr. Penscover then went on to run a workshop, giving visiting educators a taste of how to build a better book, so to speak. So we invite those of you that are in the center, you might want to, you'll have a little bit more fun if you get to one of the tables along the edge. And we're going to play a quick quick game of tactile Pictionary with you. To play this tactile Pictionary, I teamed up with New York educator Ryan. So someone in your group, take the blindfold and put it on. Ryan put on the blindfold first, while I set up to design a tactile drawing on a piece of paper. All right, what, what are we designing? Okay. What word are we designing? It's like a word on the board somewhere. The given word I was supposed to draw? It was elephant. All right, Ryan, I'm going to try my best here without... Uh... And we were off. You got it. I took the wiki sticks, which are like bendable pipe cleaners but covered in wax, and with these bendy sticks, I tried to make an outline of an elephant on the paper. That's the object. I Do you have any questions? Ryan's reaction helped me see pretty quickly that my tactile design skills weren't good. Well, they weren't good yet. Growth mindset, right? I don't know, like a bug maybe? Those like that it is a living thing. Yes. It took a few minutes, some design adjustments, and other help, but eventually we got where we were going. Well, like, I don't know what an aardvark looks like. No, but that's a great guess. <laughs> yes, I was like... Is it elephant? Oh, yes. hey, elephant. wow, right. yeah. that's amazing. And with that, our team then could talk about what it takes to be a better designer beyond what you can see. I asked my partner later what he thought of the session. Hey, Ryan. What did you think about the um, tactile pictures and and Build a Better Book project? 
So it was particularly interesting. Um, we have we want a large uh, Title IV grant at my district to enhance our STEAM offerings, and so I was just trying to like fill in some gaps with things I could bring back to our STEAM teachers. And one of the things that that struck me about when we first started is uh, the school I work at is actually seven minutes from um, the New York State School for the Blind. Um, so right away I could see some some partnership ideas where perhaps our our sort of late elementary, middle school students do projects uh, with our maker spaces in the service of uh, sort of collaborating with and providing things to the, the School for the Blind. Um, so I thought it was a particularly powerful uh, example of sort of using the, the STEM technology and, and maker spaces in a really useful manner. I asked a few more participants of the workshop what they thought about all this too. Jamie, a K-12 administrator and electrical engineer, was struck by that term empathy. And then coming here, as soon as I put on that blindfold, I immediately, and she was like, do you find it offensive? And I was like, no, but it's building that empathy. It's like naturally building why I'm here, what's the purpose of what I'm doing. Uh, and then when she said, you know, it doesn't have to look like it, it's like about, you know, what do you need that animal to be? You know, you just need the snout and you need the tail and nothing else matters. And I just thought that was really powerful. Audrey Williams is a chief information officer at a community college in Tennessee. And this workshop sparked ideas in her, too. But what was great about this was um, it was beyond just how this is how we're using our makerspace. But and into I'm already thinking about when I go back to my college, um, how we can utilize these kind of projects as service learning, which is one of our high-impact practices. And so I, how can I engage our engineering students with these tools that will then create something for the community, kind of like what they're doing? So, I'm, yeah, I'm already jumping like four steps ahead. <laughs> so Dr. Forsyth and Dr. Penscover got positive reviews, presenting what they found from the Build a Better Book Project at CU Boulder. Check it out yourself when you get a chance, and maybe... You could bring this type of empathetic design to your community. Links are in this episode's show notes. Thank you to everyone who made this episode possible, including my guests, Dr. Stacy Forsyth and Dr. Katherine Penscover from CU Boulder. And also big thanks to the awesome people who've donated on Patreon to support the podcast. I produce the K-12 Engineering Education Podcast in my indie studio, Pios Labs. And if you want to help support it, you can show your support at patreon.com slash Labs. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash p-i-o-s-l-a-b-s. Thank you for listening and join me again next time.